Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your co-host, John Robb, but I'm not joined with my co-host, Jeff Ayers, today. He is actually out of town somewhere in Montana. Um, I got a text, and I don't know if it's real, but it's from somebody named Yogi the Bear saying that he had kidnapped Jeff, and unless I get him enough picnic baskets for ransom, he's going to do something to him, and I'm not sure what quite that means. But you never know with Jeff, so we'll have to see, and hopefully he'll be back with us uh, when we uh, return in August, when we take July off. But tonight's show, I want to let you know that we are joined here live with um, best-selling author Alan Jacobson talking about his latest book, Dark Side of the Moon, which is book four in his OPSEG Team Black series. And then we're also going to be playing the interview that Jeff and I did with Jim Butcher talking about briefcases, and that is the Jim Butcher, number one New York Times bestseller um, author, that we did a couple weeks ago, and we're going to play that on the air for you here tonight so you can hear that one. But we want to remind you all that all of our books are brought to you by Kensington Books, or all of our shows, <laughs> not all of our books, all of our shows are brought to you here by Kensington Books, so please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on their authors and their books. So, of course, you know, Alan, we've had on for, uh, several times. We always love talking about his books, his Karen Vero series. And now he's into this um, OPSIG Team Block number four, and this one's called Dark Side of the Moon, which Karen Vale is a part of. So let's bring Alan on here right now. So, Alan, thanks so much for joining us, of course. How are you doing, my friend? Great. How are you doing, John? Man, we're doing good. Uh, everything's doing good. I'm so happy to see that you got this book coming out because we haven't talked in a while um, about what you're going on. You had a little bit of a break, I think, didn't you? Uh, no, just a little prolonged uh, lead time in, in the publisher getting the book out than normal. But, ah. uh, no, I have not been on break. A break would be <laughs> nice. but <laughs> Yeah, writers are never on break. They're always working something, always writing down something. And now you kind of have uh, – now you have book four here, um, Dark Side of the Moon Out, in your uh, OPSIC Team Black series. So with Karen Vale, of course, into it, but she's into it with – you know, Uzi and DeSantos and, you know, the operatives and everything that goes on there. So it's not just a Karen Vale book, but fans of Karen Vale, of course, will be able to, you know, keep tabs on her about what you got going on and how bad of predicaments you like to put her in. So give us the explanation here about what you got going on in Dark Side of the Moon. So I was sitting at my computer and a news story flashed by on my little notification screen that said uh, NASA releases never before seen photos of the Apollo uh, missions. And I went, oh, you know, I, that's kind of intriguing, never before seen. Mm-hmm. Why were they, why were they hidden, right? <laughs> why right. were they kept secret? They, you know, my, the mind of a, of a thriller writer, you know, loves that kind of thing and it starts working, right? So I click on the gallery and I'm thumbing through the pictures and I'm going, huh, this is interesting. What if something happened on Apollo 17, the last one? 
and uh, they they bring back, they discover something on the moon, and they bring something back to Earth, and uh, nobody knows about it. In fact, maybe they didn't even know what they had at the time. So I start ruminating on that as I'm clicking through the photos, and then I see uh, a caption on one of them that talks about the unusual um, rocks that they had brought back. They brought back 200 pounds of moon rock just on Apollo 17. And Apollo 17 was the first Apollo mission that actually had a scientist on board, and he uh, was a geologist. So I, the, the idea started to take additional form in my head, and I started you know, brainstorming, as I always do when I have an idea. Mm-hmm. And it started to get really intriguing. And I, I liked where the story was going. And I said, okay, this is going to be my next book. And my wife thought I was crazy. And I said, no, 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 this is, this is going to be great. And, uh, you know, I, I just, you know, it, it'll be completely different in that I can't do the research with my normal cadre of, of experts. I have to find other people. And she says, yeah, do you realize how hard that's going to be? And I said, no, 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 don't you get it? We don't have to travel all over the world to the locations where my characters go because a lot of my novels – you know, take place right. in so she's, know, Paris. So she's a England. little pissed that she's not able to go on vacation with you now to go travel. Yeah, so like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I wanted to go to Amsterdam now. Yeah, um, I thought you were writing so, a story about Greece. What are, you, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, now that you mention that. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, she, she thought, you know, she said, you're nuts. And I said, no, 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 this is, this is going to be much easier because, like, I can't go to the moon, right? So... Long story short, and I will admit this on radio, my wife was right. I was wrong. I was so wrong. I was, like, so far wrong. I wasn't even, you know, I could go around the back end and come back and still be wrong. That's how wrong I was. So um, it ended up being an incredibly difficult thing to research because uh, the, the, the concept was that this was going to be a special forces mission utilizing Uzi and DeSantos, my, my two, uh, two of the OPSIG Team Black covert operatives, and they were going to have to go to the moon. And uh, a few things. One is my characters don't exist. They don't live in a science fiction universe. Uh, right. And my readers are not looking for science fiction. So that meant that everything that I did in terms of the story had to be based upon fact and and things that really exist today uh, relative to both NASA and private industry, because as we know, private industry has kind of sort of taken the lead in terms of... Right. Um, getting, Musk you know, and uh, Bezos have done that with Blue Origin right. and SpaceX, yeah. Exactly. So You could have called one of those no, companies. I, I did, John. <laughs> of course I you did. did. <laughs> of course I did. Yes. Um so it uh it was one of those things where I realized, you know, like deer in headlights, my oh crap moment. Okay, great. So this is going to take place on the moon, but uh I got to get my characters to the moon. And what do I know about uh, you know, rocket science? Uh well, Moonraker. Uh, that's about it. That, that would be a good example. I, I, I've, I've seen that's about what we got. Yes. I think he's the only one to do it. James Bond, of course. <laughs> so you know, it was one of these situations where I needed to build 
a resource base from the ground up. And it, as I came to understand and realize, it was a, it was a difficult task because mm-hmm. instead of dealing with people who are uh, often willing to share their experiences and their stories uh, regarding law enforcement or, you know, any of, of the various fields of law enforcement, SWAT, bomb making, you know, uh, bomb disposal, uh, you know, fire, arson, serial offenders, serial killers. I mean, you always can find some law enforcement officer or agent who would like to share what he's learned and some of the unusual cases and days on the job. But with right. rocket scientists, they're like a different breed. You know, they're they're engineers, they're scientists, they they deal in numbers, they they are working on complex problems and they don't have time to talk with somebody who's writing a story that's fiction, right? So it was an interesting challenge and um it turned out to be quite stressful because I couldn't proceed with the writing until I had the book outlined, and I couldn't outline it sufficiently until I knew what the the real science was and how I was going to, first of all, get my characters to the moon, and then second of all, once they're there, what it's like on the moon and, and how they would operate and how, they, how you walk, how you breathe, the things that you need to be able to do not to mention all the things that have to happen during the course of the story that I wanted to have yeah. happen. So it was uh, it was very challenging, but challenges are good. They often bring uh, out the best in me, and you know I just had to have faith that I that I'd be able to bring this all together. And uh, ultimately, I did. But I got to tell you, it was uh, it was a very stressful year. Because, uh, you know, time's ticking. You have to move forward. And once you get into the rhythm of writing, you want to keep moving forward. You don't want to stop. And then you forget what you've written. And you lose the rhythm. You lose the pace. You lose the story. You lose the humor. There's just so much that once you start writing, you don't want to stop. So um, I How close were you to, like, never making your deadline and really pissing off your publisher? That's the question, right? Um, I made I made the deadline. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I always have. I'm very proud of that. Yeah. But there was a time there. Um, just to give you an example, it took five months for NASA to get back to me and work with me. And um, I remember when I worked with the DEA back in 2008, uh, it took three weeks. I had to get congressional subcommittee approval for the DEA to work with me. And it took three weeks, uh, excuse me, six weeks for, for this to, to happen. And I was, you know, I was on pins and needles because I needed the information. I was doing something very different. Uh, and I needed to know whether or not it could happen, whether it was feasible and how it would be handled uh, by law enforcement agents. And uh, so I couldn't proceed and I came to learn because several of the, of the DEA agents and lab uh, technicians and scientists came to the book signing that I did at Borders, and they laughed. And, you know, during my signing, when I'm telling this story, and, and afterwards they came up to me and they said, just so you know, six weeks is pretty good. It's usually six months to get clearance. So I suddenly felt <laughs> very fortunate. 
Um, and here I was, you know, now uh, five months, and, uh, and you know, I, I hadn't been able to get through to NASA, uh, the people that I needed to. And, but So, I mean, as you, you know, needed a subcommittee of Congress to be able to yeah. say, yeah, these people can talk to you about something that happened in your book? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was doing some radical things, and the DEA is, is understandably very careful in what information gets out there because, you know, you don't want to give sure. the bad guys any ideas and not that, you know, I'm going to have drug cartels reading uh, Alan Jacobson novels, but, um, you know, it, it, they are very careful in who they work with because, they, look, all agencies have been burned from time to time. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes I mean, I'm just, I'm just sitting here thinking, not. how would you even go about getting involved and knowing who to call for something like that? Well, as it turned out, I started at a very high level and hit, you know, the brakes were hit immediately. It's like, look, I really want to help you, but I can't. You know, you've got to call headquarters. Here's the person you talk to in D.C. Oh, uh, so you're not going through senator. You're not going through your senator and congressman first. You're going. You're, you're calling no. like over to the Pentagon trying to reach somebody. Uh, well, headquarters. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and Quantico or yeah, something like so that. Yeah. It, it actually, yeah. But it, it was the kind of situation right. where I understood where they were coming from um, because they deal with obviously very uh, significant issues and cases, and, you know, a lot of lives could be lost, not to mention. Yeah agents that are undercover, and that actually was something that was very important as I worked with them. Once I got a congressional approval, they gave me access to anything and everything that I wanted. It was They were awesome. But um, I made it clear, look, if there's something that you tell me that can, can harm an agent in the field, we're, we're going to make sure when I'm done that there's nothing in there that's going to cost any lives at all. And they worked right. to make sure that you know, they read the manuscript after cool. and um, and made sure that there was nothing that I wrote in there that compromised anybody or, or open cases and that type of thing. So, you Man. know, NASA was a little different. Um, you know, you're not dealing mm-hmm. with life and death, but they were guarded in their um, access. And, you know, they're working on complex things, and, and they didn't view it as super important to work with somebody who's writing something that's not real. So... I get it, um, but, you know, at the same time, I needed the information. And as it turned out, uh, although I did ultimately get what I needed from NASA, during those five months I ended up working with engineers uh, and scientists at Aerojet Rocketdyne, at SpaceX, uh, JPL, which is actually part of NASA, um, a retired astronaut, a space shuttle astronaut, which is a whole other story how I got to meet him. And, uh, you know, when I walked into his office, I knew I was going to spend an hour with him. And when I walked in, I met another guy there who was working on something in, in their uh, conference room, and we shook and we, you know, made small talk, and, and he left. And then uh, Jose Hernandez, the astronaut, came in, and we sat down in the conference room, and we met for over an hour. Nice. And while I'm talking to him, I said, you know, hey, Jose, do you happen to know 
a lunar geologist. I really need a lunar geologist. He said, yeah, you definitely do. Um, and, you know, Charlie, the guy you met when you came in, he was in charge of the moon rocks at NASA. So I think he would fill the bill. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so then he brought Charlie in, and Charlie and I met for, you know, over an hour. And, uh, you know, they, they those two right there were uh, vital to – uh, making sure that the story I wanted to tell would be accurate and reasonable and believable. And that's, you know, that's what I wanted. That was, so, you know, number one goal. So, I mean, when you're talking about, when, so when you're piecing this together, and again, the book is called Dark Side of the Moon, and it is book four in your OPSIC Team Black series. So when you're thinking about, um, like, this book, why why go to the lengths of having him go to the moon instead of just really just kind of, fictual, you know, fictionalizing the, you know, the moon rocks came, and you can kind of X-file it a little bit because it's still FBI, and maybe X-file a little bit. We're not having so much science fiction. But why go to those extremes to, to do all that instead of just having it just set everything right here in the States and then just kind of making up your own story about what's, you know, what the 200 pounds of rock are and what they can do and stuff of that nature? Well, because, number one, the, the story that you alluded to has been done. You know, there's all sorts of permutations of that same storyline. Uh, you could make it a good book, but it's not particularly original in any, in any okay. way. Um, you know, you could substitute uh, the moon rocks for stolen nuclear fuel or uh, a nuclear weapon or, you know, fill in the blank. Uh, It's been done so many times. Going to the moon and having a special forces mission to the moon, to my knowledge, has not been done. And it was very exciting to me to think there is a way to pull this off and to make it incredibly exciting and different and fresh and it was not, uh, you know, some of it was planned and other things were not. Like when I started uh, researching how they have to uh, work on the moon, once they get there, what do, what do they do? And there are whole procedures sure. that they have to go through. And then the pressure suit is a whole science in and of itself. And when you get down to the, the nuts and bolts of it, you have to – construct your your storyline on the lunar surface so different from how it would occur on earth because well we have oxygen <laughs> and up there right. you know it, it's it's a, a very it's not a hospitable uh we have gravity so we have gravity <laughs> exactly yeah so um, shooting a weapon or anything of that nature is going to be much right. different than when you shoot one here on in the you know yeah exactly and not only that, think about that for a second, because, okay, you shooting a weapon. Let's say, okay, mm-hmm. here, anybody can get a weapon, unfortunately, in this country and shoot a weapon, right? Right. Well, on the moon, you can't take your pressure suit off. So you've got these humongous gloves that are purposely, you know, robust because, you know, if you get a, a kink in your, in your uh, suit, you're dead. I mean, it's a matter of you know a few seconds, and you're you're dead. Uh, so these these gloves have to be very robust, which makes fine motor control very difficult operating any kind of equipment. 
Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to hold a pistol, let alone stick your finger in a in a trigger guard to pull the trigger. Right. So right. So you know, and then you've got the whole concept of uh, you know a bullet traveling in a in a, a very low gravity environment. All these yeah. things I had to research and. Um, every step of the way of constructing a scene. So what, what's the most important thing that a, that a thriller writer does? Uh, or a mystery writer, a suspense writer, it's conflict. Uh, so yep. how can you have conflict when you can't have two characters face each other and speak, right? So yep. now suddenly it's, it, to- it totally changes your, your scene construction and your storyline so that you can make it happen or find out other ways um, of, of making it happen. So, again, it was uh, an enormous challenge for me as a writer, and that is always a good thing. If it wasn't a challenge to me as a writer, you know, you, you could end up with a boring or stale story, stale dialogue, stale action. Just, you know, mm-hmm. nothing good comes from something that's – that's not uh, fresh and original. You're, you're going through the motions. Uh, and that's the one thing that I swore I would never do uh, when I agreed to write a series, the Karen Vale series. That was a, a key moment when my publisher said to me after buying The Seventh Victim, and they had shopped it around to the buyers, which were basically buyers for Barnes & Noble and Borders and the independent stores, and uh, they all said, well, when's the next Karen Vale novel coming out? We love The Seventh Victim. So then my publisher sat me down and said, when's the next Karen Vale book coming out? And I said, well, I, you know, I, I don't want to write a series. This is a one-off. And they, you know, it was kind of like silence around the table. And it was like, uh, well, we, we want you to write a series. Um, Karen Vale needs to be a series. So, you know, I said, well, I, I need to think about it because I didn't want to be stale. I didn't want to write the same thing over and over again. And I'd seen colleagues become stale writing the same series character over and over again. So I said, um, I'll tell you what, let me take a few days to think about how I can keep Karen Vale and myself as a writer fresh from book to book. If I can do that, I will write a series. And nice. um and I and I figured out how to do it. And one way is to challenge your character and or challenge you as the writer. So if you can do that, if you can put your character in unusual situations or situations that are foreign to him or her, that's half the battle, if not more. So um, your writing is vibrant. The story is vibrant. You end up with... Um, Explosive scenes, action, and conflict—that's that's different. That that hasn't been seen before. So that's what I always strive to do. Uh, and I, you know, I would never put my name on a book that didn't meet my standards. So, you know, if 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 there's a book that's not working for me as I'm going through the process, I mm-hmm. always said I probably said it on your show many 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 years ago, John. Many times. I said if that a book wasn't working for me, I was going to stop. And it never happened to me until about three years ago. And I got a month, maybe a little bit more, six weeks into a project, and it just was not working for me. And I said, all right, you know what? Time to stand by and live by your words. They're no longer words. Yeah. You know, yeah. Are you going to stop this and pick up with a different project? 
And I said yes, and I did, and it was the best decision I ever I ever made. Um, and that's when I wrote uh, The Darkness of Evil, which is not The Dark Side of the Moon. The Darkness of Evil is a different book. It's this Karen Vale, the seventh Karen Vale novel. And it turned out to be, you know, just a, a fantastic story. And I, I'm so glad that I, I lived by the words that I believed I would, but had never put it to the test. And I threw six weeks of work out and um, put myself behind the eight ball because, you know, deadline, it's hard to lose six weeks. Um, exactly. And it, and it was the right decision to make. And I, you know, I encourage all aspiring writers not to be afraid of doing that. So are you going to do a jump back and forth from Opsig to Karen Vale? Is the next book you're going to bring out is it going to be Karen? Yeah, uh, the next one uh, will be a, a Karen Vale. I already know the story. Um, it's one that I've wanted to write for a little bit, which is common. You know, I have the ideas mm-hmm. well in advance usually. Uh, you know, there are a couple of, of exceptions, like Inmate 1577. I was not planning to write that one at all, and I walked. Oh God! And that's and I'm and I'm just gonna say I know it's tough for you to pick best because it's like picking your children, but that's the best one yes. you wrote. Thank you, thank you. I love in me. You know, I mean, no, I mean, I, I guess you say the best one you wrote. For me, that was the best story overall in the whole thing. I mean, uh, you know, the the books are great. The whole series is great, but you know, when people say, "Well, you got to pick one," put a gun to my head. It's I made fifteen seventy seven. It is really yeah. tough for me to choose um, because I could make a case for every single one of my novels. And you know what? Sure. I'm proud of that. Um, I really I, – I, there are times, you know, I, I work out a lot in my garage, and I have books, my books, you know, in the garage, and I'll just pick one uh, every once in a while. I don't do it often, you know, maybe once every few months. I'll just stare, I'll be looking at the spine, and I'll just grab it and just open it just randomly to a page and start reading. And the good thing is that I can't stop. I don't want to stop. And I laugh because there's a lot of humor in my books, not on purpose. It's just the characters interacting. They just have this great chemistry. And, you know, the the humor comes out from that character interaction. And uh, I just love it. I'm I'm really, Mm -hmm. really proud of every single book I've written. They're all different. Yet, you know, they all have... uh, you know my style and and my characters but um it's it's tremendous fun i have always said i absolutely love writing these books and dark side of the moon i couldn't be more proud of it it um as cool. i said one of these days i got to get the karen vale set and i got to get it autographed by you because i don't have it i know we have a couple hard covers here and a couple books but most yeah. of the ones we get are galleys and you know and that's oh. so different so yeah <laughs> yes, yes. Well, you know, VJ Books, I, uh, here's a plug for VJBooks.com. They have uh, autographed copies of all, almost all my hardcovers. Nice. And, uh, so for you, those people who want to get a, a gift uh, for somebody, they're, they're autographed. I autographed all of them, uh, and they're limited edition. They're terrific, high-quality books. But, okay, commercial over. Um, yeah, they're uh, – I, I just um, – I, I live for writing these characters. I just uh, it's something that I really enjoy. Just, so <laughs> we've blown through this thirty minutes. Like I have no idea where the time just went. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's been flying by. Uh, now, of course, like you just said, like Karen Vale's coming up next. But I want to also remind everybody too. 
alanjacobson.com is your website, and that's where they're going to find all the information on all the books, including the standalone yep. thrillers you have, including anything. Yep. They can read excerpts. Uh, they can see anything about the Karen Vale ops. You have you have a really great website, and you keep it really good up to date. Um, you know, Thanks. some authors don't, and some authors have shitty websites. Um, <laughs> which you know, I just kind of go, why? You know, if you're an author, you think you'd be a little more creative with your website. But anyway, that's you know, I I digress. So, but that's the best place to find you. And of course, you know, you're on Facebook and Twitter. And what events are you going to be at this year? So I've got Thriller Fest coming up in a couple weeks in New York City. Uh, I've got uh, some local things that I'm doing, but Men of Mystery uh, in Long Beach this year is oh. uh, November 10th. Um, and you may find me at BoucherCon in Florida. I'm not sure yet uh, about that one. Well, if you're going to go to Long Beach down there, maybe we got to hook up and we got to go to lunch or dinner or something and try to figure out how to get oh. connected. You, you, you let me know. Because that's about as close as you're going to come when you get down here to Southern California. I can't, you, you know, you, you up there in that northern part and everything. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you hey, of we'll course, can... as always, Alan, it is always great to have you and talk to you about your book. And then the latest one is called Dark Side of the Moon. It's book four in the OPSIG Team Black series, so you want to make sure that everybody goes and check that out. And uh, you know, while you're at it, you can check out The Hunted, and you can check out Hard Target. You can check out The Lost Codex. You know, those are all the books uh, in the series. And you write these to be kind of standalones, but they're still a series, of course. But someone can pick up Dark Side of the Moon, and then they can read, you know, four three two one or four four two three one, whatever they want to do. Right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's you know I try very hard to be able to allow people because I realize you could say to people look read two then three then five. but the bottom line is you know they're going to see one it's going to intrigue them they're going to start to read it and then they'll go back and and read the others but uh, mm-hmm. so you don't want I don't want my character to be lost so even though like Crush and Velocity are the, probably the two that I would say read Crush and then Velocity like that's Karen Vale two and three. But there are plenty of people that pick up Velocity first and read that one first and love it. So, you know, even with that, uh, it works. And uh, so, yeah, you can start at the, the series, either series at any point. Nice. Well, Alan, as always, we want to thank you so much for coming on and joining us and talking here about your book, Dark Side of the Moon. And, you know, don't be a stranger. We just got to have you on just to talk because there's uh, something that, you know, there's a roundtable thing that I, you know, like to get together sometimes and just sit down here and we just talk about writing or just talk about anything and everything that's kind of, you know, going on and just kind of have some fun. So we got to get together and just, just kind of do that for like an hour and just, just see what's going on and throw some ideas and, you know, see what's going on in the world. Hell, why not? You let me know and I will be there, John. You know, anytime you come calling, I'm, I'm there. Um, and, awesome. and people should know the next issue of Suspense Magazine will have an article from me. Uh, yes, it will. Know. Writer's Toolkit, you're going to yeah. have something in there. We'll, we'll have. So, uh, people can get a little glimpse time. inside the writing process of how to write bestsellers right there from Alan. You got them, you got them covered. And, and I, yes, check out the, the previous issues of Suspense Magazine for the Writer's Toolkit. For That's right. And I'm going to take all that stuff and put it on the website so they'll be able to just go on there and pick it up. So we're going to start dumping all this content and start putting it up there. It's just take a little while to get it up, but I'm starting to just start dumping all this magazine stuff out there. Because so, it's all, no matter when it is, I mean, I could do it in five years, and it's still relative. I mean, that's the great thing about, you know, those kinds of things. I mean, you can always still do it. 
Absolutely. So. I think that's a great idea. Yep. So, yeah. All right, Alan, you have a good one, and we will talk with you soon. Okay, John, you take care. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, you have a good one, man. Bye-bye. So, everybody, that is author Alan Jacobson. And, again, you go to alanjacobson.com for more information on his books and everything he has going on. And now uh, we are going to play for you the interview that Jeff and I did a couple weeks ago, again, with best-selling author Jim Butcher and talk about his book, The Briefcases. Uh, it's not the, but it's Briefcases, uh, along with a bunch of other stuff. Uh, the interview goes on for about 15 minutes, and Jim's really nice guy and was really gracious to do this to us. So without any further ado, here you go. So first I want to say so thanks to uh, Jim Butcher for joining us today. It's an absolute pleasure to be able to speak with him to talk about his latest book, which is called Brief Cases, The Dresden Files. So, Jim, thanks so much for being here with us today. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you. Awesome. So let's just jump right in here to your latest book, which is called Brief Cases, uh, The Dresden Files, and tell us a little bit about what you got going on in this. Uh, it's a collection of short stories. So tell us a little bit about the inception of the book and what you got going on. All right. Uh, well, at the end of the day, I am just a giant nerd. And, and as we all know, the defining trait of all nerds is unbridled enthusiasm. And I am a nerd yeah. for writing, and when other writers come up to me and start talking about an idea for a short story anthology, I get excited. And, you know, they'll come up to me and say, hey, we've got this idea for that, this anthology, and this guy's on board, and this guy's on board, and we want you to do a story, too. What do you think? And I'll be like, hey, that sounds fantastic. Let's do a story. Uh, so I'll, I'll, I'll get these stories written, in, and, and I'll get to do viewpoints of other characters and so on. But these stories wind up spread out over, you know, a dozen anthologies, and not everybody has enough money to, to go buy that. I've got a lot of, like, students who are, who are, who are readers and so on. So uh, uh, I like to get this, after a while, I like to get those stories collected kind of in one place uh, uh, so that there's just like a book of, here, here's all the short stories that you, that you missed that are actually part of the Dresden Files uh, universe. And uh, for all the people who actually bought all the other anthologies, I, I'll be like, man, I'm sorry about that. Here's, a, here's an extra novella to go into that as well, so that at least you're getting a novella out of it. Uh, uh, and that's kind of, the, that's kind of the, the idea as far as, as getting the story to the fans that I, that, that I get behind it. As far as the short stories themselves, um, the, the inspiration for those can come from just about anywhere. Um, uh, uh, but, but they're usually they're things that um, – are either it's too small a story to really go into a novel, or it's a little bit too complex to go into a novel. Uh, and then, and then, when I've got an idea like that, then I know that it's, it either needs a novella of its own, or it needs a, a short story of its own. Well, I, I appreciate the fact that you collect these things for the fan and myself. Uh, thank you for doing that, and the extra bonus novella is nice as well. Thank you. Um, oh yeah, I have I have to ask you about the Dresden Files TV show. Because okay. I loved it. The talent was fantastic. The stories behind it were fantastic. It should still be on the air. So is there any hope of resurrection? Hmm. Um, I don't think there's, a, there's, there's any hope of resurrection. I think there might be hope of reincarnation, um, in, in which we'd see the show uh, come back as, as something else, um, either as a, as, a, as a longer and more serialized story, uh, that would be filmed on something like, you know, it would it would take like a network like like HBO or Netflix or something like that to do it properly. I think, um, or another way it could reappear is I actually think it would be a really really good animated series, like not like a, 
not like a kid series, like like, like a proper adult animated series. I don't know if you guys saw the uh, the recent Suicide Squad movie uh, that just came yeah. out, but but it, I mean it was very very well done, and uh, uh, you know something like that I think could be a lot of fun. And, and plus, if we did that, then we could get James Marsters to do the voice of Harry Dresden, maybe. You know, oh, and that, yeah. that that would be that would be a very cool thing. Can you imagine the Dresden Files with like you know. You know, Kevin Conroy as Nicodemus, you know, Clancy Brown yeah. as, as John Marcone. You know, that would be so cool. Yeah. Oh, I'd, I'd love that. Yeah, it, I mean, it would be really neat. Well, what's neat is that, I mean, I, I'm feeling, I, I'm taking myself back because when I was reading your bio, I mean, first of all, the Chronicles of Narnia was the first series I ever read, too, and I'm the biggest nerd, and Jeff and I are massive nerds, and we always debate Star Wars versus Star Trek. I'm Star Wars, he's Star Trek, so it's always great to kind of do those things, but yeah, I mean, to kind of hear you talk about like, you know, the different voices, that's for like an animated series, is it kind of gets you geeked out a little bit. <laughs> I mean, it does, me, man. too. I, I, I'm you just geek. as a geek as anybody else. Exactly. So, um, so a question here again about briefcases, and I want you to look at this from uh, a point of view of kind of like a consumer, because normally when you pick up a short story anthology, if you're like myself, and I do this, I never really start with with the first story and kind of read through. I kind of go and I kind of see like which story might interest me the most. So, if you're picking this up as a consumer and you pick up your own book and you open it up and you look, which story do you think you would be drawn to first to want to read? Uh, let me think. I mean, I'm not asking you which yeah, one is like your favorite. I mean, I mean, that's for like me, it's, your it's, kid. it's like an unfair question for me because all, I mean, these stories are, you know, like when I wrote True. Jury Duty, uh, uh, that got written because I, I got sent to Jury Duty. And, I, and, and while, I, while we were sitting around waiting to see whether or not we were going to be selected, I was just furious because it was such a huge waste of time. And then I thought, it well, is. then don't make it a waste of time. Start taking notes. Build a story out of this. And, uh, uh, you know, so, that, so it's, it's way more personal for me than for anybody else. Mm-hmm. That said, though, um, the novella is the – I mean, that's the one I'm proudest of. I think that's one of the best things I've ever done. Uh, it's a story called Zude, uh, and it's the story yeah. of, 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 of Harry Dresden's first day with his daughter. And, I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with it – does, it doesn't have very much to do with the greater overall universe of the Dresden Files. It's a, it's a very personal story about him and, and the family he's trying to build. And, uh, uh, and I think it's one of the better things I've done. Um, well, so and in reading that, a lot of reviews, and reading a lot of reviews, I think a lot of readers agree with you because they think they kind of jumped into that one a lot. And they were like, yeah, Zoo Day is where it's at. And, you know, I'm a sports <laughs> geek, so I loved, I loved your Goat Chicago. I mean, that was amazing because oh, I, was, I knew a little bit about that story, but I didn't know it until you kind of told me. And then I went and looked it up and was like, oh, my God, that's right, that damn goat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was the Billy Goat curse, right? And, of course, the Cubbies finally broke the curse. So now that has to be addressed within the, within the world of the Dresden Files. I know. That's <laughs> hilarious. So, okay. Oh, I love it. Um, so when they tell beginning writers, they, they tell them, you know, well, know what genre you write in. And I honestly have no idea what genre you write in, and I love that. Um, so I'm wondering if you could define the differences between, like, fantasy, dark fantasy, steampunk. I've seen your stuff labeled horror. I've seen it labeled mystery. I've, could you talk a bit about that, and what genre do you think you write in? Well, in the first place, genres aren't for writers. Genres are for readers. Uh, uh, well, more specifically, they're for bookstores, and then they're for readers. <laughs> uh, but as far as writers go, 
you know, writers writers write because if they didn't, they'd probably lose their minds. That, that that's really that's that's the motivation for most writers writing. I think uh, there's a story in you, and it's got to get out, and it doesn't care about genre conventions. So you know, you've got to write your story. Uh, uh, the only the only considerations for genre that I take when I'm writing is I I try and consider well how am I going to market this to an editor. Uh, uh, so I'll say, okay, well, this is a steampunk story. Now, I, for example, for the Cinder Spires, I was like, okay, this is a steampunk story, and uh, uh, it's got fantasy elements to it, but I think people will enjoy it. And uh, uh, excuse me, uh, but at the same time, you also have to think, okay, well, but how am I going to talk about this to fans? Because really, I think I think the Cinder Spires is is a steam opera. You know, it's like a space opera meets some kind of steampunk story. Uh, uh, but you know, you can't go tell them this is a steam opera because there's no steam opera section at the bookstore. So <laughs> basically, you just have to sort of think, well, how can I how can I land this? It's going to be in science fiction. We'll call it steampunk, and that and, and that'll that'll be a good start for people. Uh, and then after that, really. What you rely on after that initial, uh, 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 you know, kind of the initial selection of I love this sort of book, you rely on word of mouth from readers who read the book and who will recommend it to their friends. Um, that's really where, where your marketing comes in, I, I, at least I think, is from people telling other people, you've got to read this, or I won't leave you alone until you read this. And there, there's, you, should have, you should hear some of the stories I've heard. <laughs> but uh, but it's, it's, getting, it's getting those readers onto your side to market for you sort of makes the genre conventions that's not really applicable. Um uh, but like but that. that said, you know, I mean it's it's urban fan the Dresden Files is urban fantasy. The the uh Codex Alera is a fantasy novel. Uh, uh I mean and and that's good enough to get people started and then then they can make their own choices after that after after you introduce them to the world and and they get to look around for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's cool. Uh thank you. So my last question here is, when you kind of finished off briefcases and you kind of look back at it and, and, and you have a chance to kind of dissect it, because I know when you're in it, a lot of writers, you don't really have a lot of chance to really dissect it because you're kind of living it and you can't really step back and kind of see what you did and you look at it. But now that you're able to kind of step back and look at it, which character, you know, of course, besides you know, Harry Dresden, which character kind of resonated with you and you were like damn i really miss them or you know damn i really you know want to expand more further on them and you kind of made notes and you know you might do more things with them was there something like that for you that kind of resonated after you kind of looked back and and realized what you would you know that when the book was done oh sure i mean that happens all the time get, um yeah i mean, I mean it, it happens with many of the characters i mean you know you know writing molly short stories you know immediately popped up another two dozen Molly stories in my head of stuff that she's doing in the background while the rest of the Dresden Files is going on. Um, writing Marcone, you know, made me realize, oh, Marcone isn't quite the guy that I, that I thought he was. You know, I mean, uh, I mean he, is, he, is, he is this fairly horrible person who does run, you know, the gangs in Chicago, but he's also, there's also, there's, there is this code of honor. It's not really a code of honor that applies to the modern world too well, uh, uh, but Marcone has always really been more, less a, a, a mob boss and more kind of a medieval baron who happened to find himself in charge of a mob, you know. Um, but probably the strongest one for this one was Anastasia Lucio, uh, because for her, you know, I set up her story where I, and I teamed her up with 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 Wyatt freaking Earp, uh, 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 and 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 the start of the story is her uh, is her pursuing the man in black across the desert, more or less. Uh, you know, she's after this warlock, but uh, but as she catches up to him, she finds out he's only a lackey for Kemmler, you know, the, the, one of the big bad necromancers of the story that, you know, isn't involved in the current story, but, you know, is, a, is, a, is a, this dark shadow from the past. 
And, and I realized, oh, wait, I could write this story with her pursuing Kemmler back and forth across the West <laughs> next, to, next to Wyatt Earp and Doc Holliday, and that would be awesome. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that would be so much fun. Nice. I, mean, I don't know that I could exactly. that, that, that I could ever do the, the the research necessary to do such a story and do it justice, mm-hmm. but wow, that would be a good time. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, my last question for you is: When you started doing the Dresden Files, did you have an end game in mind? And if you did, has that changed as you've been going along with the series? Um, okay, this, this takes a little bit of an answer. So okay. uh, uh, um, you understand that, that, that uh, I, I wrote the Dresden Files to prove to my writing teacher how wrong she was about writing. Because um, uh, I decided she'd been giving me very good advice for a very long time, and I decided that uh, uh, I was going to show her how wrong she was, and I was going to do it by following all of her instructions, and she would see what a horrible result happened. And, and so I wrote the first book, The Dresden Files, but, but when I, you know, which showed her. But... When I turned that, those first couple of chapters in, she read it and said, you did it. And I said, what? She said, you did it. She says, I don't know if you will sell this the first thing you sell, but this is of professional quality. You will be able to sell it eventually. And, and I was just like, wow. She says, now go home and give me an outline for the rest of it. And she meant the rest <laughs> of the novel. But I, I come rolling back in the next week with an outline for a 20-book series with a, a, a big old three-book capstone trilogy at the very end of it. And... Uh, 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 and I, I just went on and on, all excited about it. And uh, you know, I just remember the look on her face. You know, she didn't want to tell me that there was no t- no way an unpublished author was going to sell a twenty book series to to an, to to any publishing house. You know, that that was going to be impossible. Uh, but she didn't want to discourage me, so she didn't tell me that. You know, and, and because she didn't tell me that, I I kind of went and did it uh, 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 because I didn't know it was impossible. So I mean, you know, that's. That, 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 that's kind of where you know that's that, that's kind of where the Dresden Files came from, and it, when I put together that outline when I was 25, and uh, uh, and I've, I've pretty much stuck to the outline. Now the way we're going, okay. I, I might need I might need 21 books instead of 20 to get all the story told uh, told that I want to get told before we hit the the big old trilogy at the end. Um, uh, but as soon as you know, but. but but I haven't really changed the plan. I mean, the reason the Dresden Files has done as well as it has is because I know what the end game is. I know what's going to happen at the very end. And because I know what's going to happen at the very end, I can scale the story up appropriately so that we keep raising the stakes, that we keep finding more dangerous people, you know, people and, and monsters to go up against. We keep finding more and more complex moral situations that Harry has to face. And... Uh, 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 you know, and then, and that's you know that's great. I, I mean, at this point, I'm I'm just freaking superstitious about changing anything around, uh, uh, because I mean, apparently it's not broken. So why would I try and fix it? Yeah, that's true. The old adage, yeah, the yeah. Don't fix it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, so really, really, all I'm doing now is is I'm I'm kind of sticking to that outline, and I'm trying to go through and make sure that every you know every installment in the, you know in, in in that story is just the very best it can be. Or like my mom would say, if it ain't broke, don't give it to me to play with, because then it will be broke. But that's a, <laughs> you know, that's a totally different situation. But hey, Jim, you know, uh, we want to thank you so much for just giving us, you know, this uh, th- this time to be able to talk to us about briefcases and, uh, you know, a couple other things. And you know, again, thank you so much. Again, everybody, there you go. There's the interview with best-selling author Jim Butcher. Uh, we want to thank him again so much for coming on. It was great to speak with him for the first time uh, about his book, Briefcases. 
And, of course, Alan Jacobson, make sure you go out and get Dark Side of the Moon, book four in the OPSIG Team Black series. So I want to thank you all so much. I'm going to have to see if I can contact Jeff, and hopefully Yogi is still available for me to pay the ransom on him so he comes back when we are back in August. So check out Twitter and things, and we will let you know who is going to be up there next. So until next time, everybody, keep reading. Enjoy. Have a good one. Good night.